Chapter Twelve of Policy and Passion. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Policy and Passion by Rosa Campbell Prade. Chapter Twelve on the Lagoon upon the following morning at barrington's request angela led the way to her studio it was a room in one of the outbuildings originally used for garnering corn and adjoined the store and accountant's office which constituted mr ferris's peculiar domain the door was padlocked and only angela and her father possessed the keys the window overlooked a secluded part of the garden where roses grew in rank luxuriance and scented verbena filled the air with perfume by an ingenious contrivance mr ferris had arranged that the light should fall from above and had caused the glass skylight to be protected from the violent hailstorms which raged among the mountains by slanting sheets of zinc that softened the glare without obscuring the light a little bookshelf surmounted a pine cupboard in one corner but the rest of the room was lined with pictures of all kinds in various stages of development sketches of grass and reeds of sunrise and sunset upon the mountains of moonlight shimmering on the lagoon dull anatomical studies and graceful portrayals of shadowy forms rising from the mist or blending with the clouds in every conception there were touches of mystery and sadness of high effort and divine desire which though often imperfectly executed were full of poetic originality the true artistic soul revealed itself in every stroke of her pencil her landscapes were characterized by a delicate sentiment that lifted nature to the pitch of idealism her studies of the human face and form were types of spiritual beauty with indeed the exception of a roughly sketched portrait of a woman which at once attracted barrington's attention who is this he asked eagerly while angela stood anxiously awaiting his comments upon her more ambitious works it is honoria longleat said angela coldly this this miss longleat repeated barrington unprepared for beauty of so high an order he stood for a few moments in rapt contemplation of the drawing cool robin is a favoured place he murmured angela turned away her face wearing an expression of childlike pain what is the matter little one asked barrington seeing that she did not speak you think only of her muttered angela barrington took her hand in his and ranging the walls with his eyes gave her pictures the calm inspection of a connoisseur accept my apologies for doubting you he said you have genius angela's eyes sparkled with delight and she suddenly raised a cloth which covered the painting upon her easel a sunset study of plain and mountain 
"'What do you think of the picture?' asked Mr. Ferris, entering. "'There is scope for the imagination in this conception, "'a little softening of that distance, Angela, "'a, a touch of mystery in the shadows of yonder valley. "'You have work here yet, my child.' barrington criticised and admired freely but presently his eyes wandered to the portrait of honoria the old man observed his preoccupation and frowned pa he cried in his excitable manner it is ever so while men have human instincts the glory of art must shrink into nothingness before the potency of flesh and blood popular taste would prefer the portrait of a wanton to the fairest incarnation of poesy but it is to enrich the future not the present that the artist toils my angela thy frail frame enfolds a divine mission you are right said barrington here is no ordinary talent surely you will not delay in taking her to italy it would be a sin to posterity were she debarred from studying art in its highest phases my friend said anthony ferris solemnly i have carefully planned angela's future in forbidding that she should be coerced in permitting her to roam about the bush as she would and in giving free play to her fantastic imagination i have merely followed out my theory of artistic education the true artist is he whose aspiration springs direct from the heavenly fount to produce great work he must from infancy have become familiarized with nature in all her moods untrammelled by conventional rules and at liberty to send forth shoots of fancy according to the natural bent of his mind there is time later on to study the old masters who after all were but interpreters the world of cities the drama of society i have had a motive in confining angela's sympathies within the circle of these mountains she must have become an artist before the petty interests of womanhood dragged down her soul as her father spoke angela's gaze turned involuntarily towards barrington and the two pairs of eyes met a deep blush overspread the girl's face and seemed to reveal the dawn of an agitating consciousness mr ferris left the studio called away by a group of station hands who waited without approaching angela barrington laid one hand upon her trembling fingers and with the other pointed to the unfinished picture you will never be a great artist angela he whispered till you have learned to feel like a woman it will have been remarked that to hardress barrington's temperament feminine sympathy formed an essential component of happiness that the woman by whom it was bestowed should be beautiful and interesting followed as a matter of course that like angela she should also be original and poetic was more than his short experience of australian society had permitted him to hope the young girl was to him a never-ending source of speculation her dreamy fancies and visionary talk which seemed to verge so closely upon frenzy her undoubted genius the frank abandon of her manner to him compared with her reserve to others her beauty and the quaint simplicity of her life and surroundings puzzled and attracted him 
he watched her with admiration in which was no deeper feeling and listened to her with pleasure her graceful companionship appeared to him like the perfume of a wild flower pervading a picturesque solitude she seemed a true incarnation of the spirit of these australian wilds which had they been invested with european romance would have left his sensuous aestheticism nothing to desire till now these free pastures and grand mountains had to his fancy resembled a perfectly moulded form destitute of the soul which brings animal beauty into harmony with human yearnings with angela's society the softening and poetic element which he had so sorely missed during the last few months was imported into his life barrington's nature was one readily impressed but slowly moved his passions had been so often stimulated to feverish activity that the calm vigour of healthy affection was a state of moral being that it would have been difficult to induce yet there were in his heart certain pure fraternal aspirations to which angela's frank sensibility and innocent partiality appealed strongly for the first time since his arrival in australia he ceased to experience a nauseating discontent and was in no haste to exchange the harmonious influences of Kurobin for the uncongenial atmosphere of Dairaba. He was Angela's constant companion in her walks and rides. He hung over her while she worked in her studio. He talked to her of Rome and Paris, of music, art, and literature, making her the confidant of his vague dissatisfaction with his lot, till she began to look upon him as a hero who had suffered cruel treatment at the world's hands he encouraged her fantastic prattle he read aloud to her as they sat together by the banks of the river or drifted in the canoe upon the lagoon in all this tender camaraderie there was to her a bewildering charm she lay down to sleep with a smile upon her lips and awoke with a nameless sense of joy unconsciously both to her and to himself for unworthy motives must not be imputed to him he was unveiling the budding beauty of her womanhood and transporting her to an imaginary arcadia where each step taken in uncertainty is fraught with peril where the eyes are deceived by a false glamour the pulses quicken and reason becomes mute the ground yields unreal flowers of sentiment and the air distils an essence subtle and intoxicating while alas the lovely landscape appearing in the distance fades upon approach to the falsity of mirage one night when barrington had been about ten days at cool robin he and angela were as usual out of doors and had strolled to the edge of the lagoon mr ferris had the day before been unexpectedly summoned to a neighbouring station upon business and mrs ferris within was calmly dozing over her book it was a balmy voluptuous evening the moon was rising behind the coorong crag and a faint breeze stirred the petals of the lilies and lifted angela's hair the girl was in a state of fitful excitability alternately voluble 
and silent while her vacant rippling laugh echoed over plain and water and startled barrington by its shrill joyousness she had taken the oars and had rowed into the middle of the lagoon where they had idly drifted among the lilies suddenly she half rose and made the canoe whirl round and round in fantastic circles till alarmed for their safety he begged her to desist take care he said you will upset the boat and what then she cried we should both fall into the water and i should have to swim with you to the shore or perhaps our feet might get entangled in the weeds and we should sink that would not matter replied angela quite gravely the water spirits would not let me drown are you not afraid of the bunyip then cobra ball says that he inhabits this pool he is a bogey said angela and nothing wicked belongs to the spirit world she recommenced her antics and playfully threw a few drops of water in his face mischievous elf exclaimed barrington seizing her hands there ensued a mock struggle in which he tried to wrest the oars from her grasp her pretty face perilously near his own offered a temptation too great to be resisted he wound his arm round her lithe form and kissed her lips angela let the oars drop and one of them floated away among the lilies he felt that she trembled and frightened at what he had done released her she leaned back in the boat and covered her face with her wet hands naughty child he said why did you provoke me to conquer you he drew away the fingers which hid her eyes all her mirth and mischief had vanished and she looked at him with an expression of wonder and beseeching that stirred his heart with a painful emotion angela he said more gravely i will not kiss you again but let us make a compact with one another i will be your elder brother and you shall be my sweet little sister whom i will love dearly and who must promise when i bid her do that which is for her good now you must take my seat and i will row you to the shore you are pale and trembling you have overtired yourself in your excitement see you have splashed yourself too your thin gown is quite wet and if you remain longer on the water you will take cold he placed his hand caressingly on her shoulder covered only by her muslin bodice which was damp with spray and dew angela mutely answered his appeal by bending suddenly forward and with innocent fervour pressing her lips to his hand he relieved their mutual embarrassment by seeking the oar which had slipped away from her hold and then rowed her to the bank End of chapter twelve